Section eight of Wayside and Woodland Trees A Pocket Guide to the British Silva by Edward Stepp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Exotic Trees and Shrubs, Part One. We have already given descriptions and illustrations of several exotic species in Part One, where it seemed more advantageous to the reader to include them with the British species of the same genus. Those now to be dealt with are in all cases members of genera not represented in our native flora. The Plain Platanus Orientalis In spite of the fact that the plain is an exotic of comparatively recent introduction, it seems in a fair way of being associated in the future with London. It has taken with great kindness to London life, in spite of the drawbacks of smoke, fog, flagstones, and asphalt. Its leaves get thickly coated with soot, which also turns its light gray bark to black, but as the upper surface of the leaves is smooth and firm, a shower of rain washes them clean, and the rigid outer layer of bark is thrown off by the expansion of the softer bark beneath. This is not thrown off all at once, but in large and small flakes, which leave a smooth yellow patch behind, temporarily free from soot contamination. A variety of trees has been tried for street planting, but none has stood the trying conditions of London so well as the plain, and therefore before many years the capital will be the city of plains. Two species are recognized, the Oriental Plain, Platanus orientalis, and the Western Plain, P. occidentalis but it would probably be more accurate to regard them as geographical varieties of one species, the points in which they differ being small and not very important. Thus the leaves of the Oriental Plain are described as being so much more deeply lobed than those of the Western Plain, that the former are botanically described as palmate, but the two forms of leaf may often be found on the same individual. The Western Plain, too, does not shed its bark in small flakes like the oriental plain, but in large sheets. Plains normally rise to a height of something between 70 and 90 feet, and the trunk attains a circumference of from 9 to 12 feet, but there is a record of a portly plain whose waist measurement was 40 feet. Many persons imagine, because the leaves of the plain resemble those of the sycamore, that the two are closely related. But this is not so, and a comparison of the flowers and fruit will show that they are not. The catkins of the plain take the form of balls, in which male or female flowers are pressed together, and the fruits, instead of being winged samaras, are the rough balls that so closely resemble an old-fashioned form of button, that the tree is known in some parts of the United States as the button wood. It is also known there as sycamore and cotton tree. The plain is supposed to have got its name platanus from the greek word platus broad in double allusion to the broad leaves and the ample shadow which the tree throws these leaves are five-lobed and as already indicated those of the oriental species are much more deeply cut further distinction is found in the color of the petiole or leaf stalk which is green in p orientalis and purplish red in p occidentalis and in the larger and smoother seed buttons of the latter. Instead of the leaves being attached to the stem in pairs, as we saw in the sycamore, those of the plain are alternate, 
that is to say leaf number two of a series will be halfway between leaf one and three but on the opposite side of the shoot the outline of the tree is not so regular as in most others the leaves being gathered in heavy masses with broad spaces between rather than equally distributed over the head this is of course due to the freedom with which the crooked arms are flung about the pale brown wood is fine-grained tough and hard and is extensively used by pianoforte makers coach builders and cabinet makers but is not highly esteemed for other purposes to which timber is put in this country the oriental plane is popularly supposed to have been introduced to england from the levant by francis bacon but if loudon's statement that it was in british gardens before 1548 rests on good evidence bacon's claim is dismissed for he was not introduced until 1561 it was nearly a hundred years later 1640 that the occidental plane was first brought from virginia by the younger tradescant and planted in that remarkable garden of his father's in south lambeth road the form that has done so well in london and of which many fine examples are to be seen in the parks and squares is a variety of the oriental plane with leaves less deeply divided than those of the type and therefore more nearly approaching the occidental plane in this respect it is distinguished by the name of the maple-leafed plain platanus orientalis variant acerfiolia it is this variety that we have chosen as the subject for our photograph the walnut juglans regia in the golden age when man lived happily on a handful of acorns the gods fed upon walnuts and so their name was jovis glans the nuts of jupiter since contracted into juglans those who delight in obvious interpretations by appealing to the modern meanings of words similar in construction may be pardoned for supposing that walnut trees were formerly trained against walls but like many other obvious interpretations this is wide of the mark some have gone back to the anglo-saxons for help and though the result arrived at is in all probability the correct one it is almost certain that the anglo-saxons knew nothing of the matter and would scarcely trouble to give a name to something they had never seen the walnut is a native of the himalayas the hindu coup persia lebanon and asia minor to greece the learned roman varro who was born b c 116 and died b c 28 mentions it as existing in italy in his day and pliny tells us it was brought thence from persia the date of its introduction to britain is usually set down as about the middle of the sixteenth century but it was probably at least a century earlier for gerard writing at the close of the sixteenth century describes it as a tree commonly to be seen in orchards and in fields near the highways where a very new importation was not likely to be found but to return to the name there can be little doubt that it is a contraction of walsh nut in modern spelling welsh nut meaning foreign this is german and while the modern sons of the vaderland write it volnus occasionally volschenus the dutch form is walnut that this is the true derivation is made pretty certain by gerard who calls it walnut and of some walsh nut that the new importation was fully appreciated in europe for its fruit may be judged by the extent to which its cultivation has spread in evelyn's day for he tells us that the trees abounded in burgundy where they stood in the midst of goodly wheatlands 
he says in several places betwixt Hanau and frankfurt in germany no young farmer is permitted to marry a wife till he bring proof that he hath planted and is a father of such a slated number of walnut trees and the law is inviolably observed to this day for the extraordinary benefit the tree affords the inhabitants the walnut is a handsome tree growing to a height of forty to sixty feet with a bole twenty feet or more in circumference and a huge spreading head the bark is of a cool gray color smooth when young but as the tree matures deep longitudinal furrows form and it becomes very rugged the twisted branches take a direction more upward than horizontal but in early summer they are almost completely hidden by the masses of large and handsome leaves of warm green color and spicy aroma i once rejoiced in the occupation of a garden that held two walnut trees and though they had not attained to the fruiting age their possession was a delight to me but then i am one of those who enjoy their fragrance which is unbearable to some persons the large leaves are formed after the fashion of the ash leaf broken up into a variable number of lance-shaped leaflets with scarcely perceptible teeth the flowering of the walnut is much on the plan of the oak and the hazel the sexes being in different flowers but borne by one tree the males forming a long drooping catkin of slender cylindrical form the females being solitary or a few grouped at the end of a shoot separated from the catkin the males will each be seen to consist of a calyx of five greenish scales enclosing a large number of stamens the calyx of the female closely invests the ovary which has two or three fleshy stigmas the flowering takes place in early spring before the leaf buds have burst the fruit is a plum-like droop only the enveloping green flesh becomes brown and splitting irregularly discloses the stone which in this species takes the form of a hard but thin-shelled nut the well-known walnut with its wrinkled kernel of crisp white flesh from which a fine oil is obtained the ripening of these nuts which is accomplished by the beginning of october can only be relied upon in the southern half of britain even there the crop is often spoiled by late frosts in the spring its chief value in europe is as a fruit tree though the light but tough wood is much esteemed for the manufacture of furniture owing to its rapid growth the grain is coarse but the dark brown color is esteemed especially as it is relieved by streaks and veins of lighter tints and black it is easily worked and bears a high polish the wood of young trees is white gradually deepening to brown as maturity is approached all the juices of the tree whether from the wood bark leaves or green fruit are rich in the brown pigment to which the hue of the timber is due the combined lightness and toughness of the wood led to its adoption as the favorite material for making the stocks of guns and rifles it is said that so great was the demand for this purpose during the peninsular war that a single walnut tree realized six hundred pounds for its timber and this created a boom that led to the cutting down of all our finest walnut trees some of these were doubtless the very trees referred to by evelyn who tells us the walnut was extensively planted at leatherhead in surrey also at caswalton carshalton and goodston in the same county where the rambler may come across fine walnut trees to this day and occasionally to young ones growing wild in hedgerows and wastes the old doggerel adage a dog and a wife and a walnut tree the more they are beaten the better they be has reference to the manner of harvesting the ripe fruit evelyn says in italy they armed the tops of long poles with nails and iron for the purpose of loosening the fruit 
and believe the beating improves the tree which i no more believe than i do that discipline would reform a shrew he expresses no opinion on the question of beating dogs sweet chestnut castanea sativa until about the middle of the last century the chestnut was generally regarded as a genuine native of these islands it is true that botanists felt that so large and longevous a tree if native should be found in the natural forests of this country or even forming pure forest these things they did not find but on the other hand they were shown beams in ancient buildings including westminster abbey which were believed to be chestnut wood and this evidence seemed to point to the fact that chestnut timber was grown much more plentifully in this country at the period when these old buildings were erected dr lindley however set the matter at rest by examination of the reputed chestnut beams in the roof of westminster abbey and proved that they were of dermast oak a similar examination of the timbers of the old louvre in paris which were also reputed to be chestnut gave a similar result a comparison of sections across the grain of oak and chestnut allows of no possibility of mistake and it is now known that whilst the wood of young chestnuts is tough and durable that from old trees is brittle and comparatively worthless except for firewood which is exactly the opposite of oak wood it is now generally agreed that its real home is in asia minor and greece whence it was introduced to italy in very remote times and has since spread over most of temperate europe its seeds ripening and sowing themselves wherever the vine flourishes we appear to be indebted to our friends the romans for its introduction to britain who no doubt hoped to utilize the fruit for food as at home a hope that must have been disappointed for its crops even in the south of england are very fitful and the nuts quite small in suitable situations the chestnut is of larger proportions and greater length of life even than the oak in the south of england it will attain a height of from sixty to eighty feet in fifty or sixty years and if growing in deep porous loam free from carbonate of lime and sheltered from strong winds and frosts it builds up an erect massive column hamerton has said of such a tree his expression is that of sturdy strength his trunk and limbs are built not like those of apollo but like the trunk and limbs of hercules under less suitable conditions the divided trunk is little more than ten feet long and it divides off into several huge limbs and so the general character of the tree is altered and it presents much the appearance of having been pollarded the branches have a horizontal and downward habit of growth the extremities of the lowest ones often being but little above the earth the fine elliptical leaves are nine or ten inches in length of a rich green that is enhanced by the polished surface which brings up the color their edges are cut into long pointed teeth towards autumn they pale to light yellow and then deepen into gold on their way to the final brown of the fallen leaf which by the way is a great enricher of the soil where the chestnut is grown the flowers though individually small and inconspicuous are rather striking from their association in cylindrical yellow catkins about six inches long which hang from the axils of the leaves the upper part of this catkin consists of male flowers each with a number of stamens enclosed in a perianth or calyx of five or six green leaves the female flowers on the lower part of the catkin are two or three together in a prickly four-lobed cupule or involucre and consist each of a calyx closely investing a tapering ovary whose summit bears from five to eight radiating stigmas the number corresponding with the cells into which the ovary is divided 
each cell contains two seed eggs but as a rule only one in each flower develops as development of the ovary and seeds progresses the cupule also grows and ultimately entirely surrounds the cluster with the hedgehog-like coat in which the nuts are contained when ripe then it splits open and discloses the two or three glossy brown nuts the chestnut is in flower from may to july and the nuts drop in october they form an important article of food in south europe where they are produced in abundance and there can be little doubt that the importers of the tree to this country believed it would prove equally valuable here evelyn had this in mind when he recommended the nuts as a lusty and masculine food for rustics at all times and of better nourishment for husbandmen than coal and rusty bacon well there is plenty of chestnut grown around evelyn's estate at wooten today but it is chiefly as coppice to provide hop poles and hoops for barrels for which purpose the long straight shoots are split in two grown as coppice the chestnut also provides fine cover for pheasants and other game the trees begin to bear when about twenty-five years old and from thence on to the fiftieth or sixtieth year the timber is at its best but later it develops the defect known as ring shake and becomes of little use that is probably why one meets with so many hollow wrecks of what were once noble chestnuts the young wood is covered with smooth brown bark but later this becomes gray and its surface splits into longitudinal fissures which give a very distinctive character to the trunk in older trees the fissures and the alternating ridges have a slight spiral twist which gives the tree the appearance shown in our third photo of having been wrenched round by some mighty force the average age of the chestnut is about five hundred years but there have been in this country many old trees that were much older if any reliance could be placed in local tradition there was we fear there is little of it still remaining the great tortworth chestnut in lord duchy's park at tortworth court in eighteen twenty it was found to have a girth of fifty-two feet evelyn refers to it in his silva and tells us that in the reign of king stephen it already bore the title of the great chestnut of tortworth the name chestnut appears to be a modification of the old latin name castanea through the french form chataniere the latin is said to be derived from castantum a town in thessaly but it is more likely that the presence of chestnut trees gave a name to the town as has happened so many times in our own country with various trees the chestnut included horse chestnut aesculus hippocastantum our placing the chestnut and the horse chestnut into juxtaposition must not be understood as a recognition of any relationship that may be implied in their names but rather the reverse to accentuate the differences that exist between them and which have led botanists to separate them widely in all systems of classification although the fruits are sufficiently similar to have suggested the name chestnut being applied to them with a qualifying prefix they have been produced by flowers of entirely different character evelyn tells us the word horse was added because of its virtues in curing horses broken-winded and other cattle of coughs a statement for which he was no doubt indebted to parkinson 1640 who says horse chestnuts are given in the east country and so through all turkey unto horses to cure them of the cough shortness of wind and other such diseases but seeing that in this country at least horses refuse to touch them there can be little doubt that the name was given to indicate their inferiority to the sweet chestnut and by a process only too well known to the student of early botanical literature the name was afterwards held to be proof of their medicinal value to horses 
the horse chestnut is a native of the mountain regions of greece persia and northern india and is believed to have been introduced to britain about 1550 it is not a tree that will be found in the woodlands or even by the wayside except when it is behind a fence yet it constantly greets the rambler who has left the suburban gardens behind him and in the public parks notably the magnificent avenue of bushy park where by contrast it exhibits itself as the grandest of all flowering trees though the stout cylindrical bowl is short its erect trunk towers to a height of eighty or a hundred feet supporting the massive pyramid beautiful on account of its fine foliage and handsome flowers alike the stout branches take an upward direction at first then stretch outward and curve downwards though in winter when relieved of the weight of foliage their extremities curl sharply upward and the great buds in spring are almost erect these brown buds with their numerous wraps and liberal coating of varnish afford considerable interest to the suburban dweller in early spring he watches their gradual swelling and the polish that comes upon them through the daily melting of their varnish under the influence of sunshine then the outer scales fall flat the upper parts show green and loose there is a perceptible lengthening of the shoot which leaves a space between those outer wraps and the folded leaves next the leaflets separate and assume a horizontal position as they expand then probably there comes a frost and next morning the leaflets are all hanging down almost blackened flaccid and dejected looking a warm southerly rain followed by sunshine reinvigorates them and we see that the lengthening of the shoot has actually brought the incipient flower spike clear into view by about the second week in may the pyramid is clothed with bold handsome foliage against which the conical spikes of white blossoms tinged with crimson and dotted with yellow stand out conspicuously the leaves are almost circular but broken up finger fashion into seven toothed leaflets of different sizes which appear to have started as ovals but the necessity for not overcrowding their neighbors has necessitated the portion nearest the leaf stalk taking a wedge shape the large size of these leaves as much as eighteen inches across leads the non botanical to regard the leaflets as being full leaves on emerging from the bud the leaves are seen to be covered with down but as they expand this is thrown off the flowers consist of a bell-shaped calyx with five lobes supporting five separate petals pure white in color but splashed and dotted with crimson and yellow towards the base of the upper ones to indicate the way to the honey glands there are seven curved stamens and in their midst a longer curved style proceeding from a roundish ovary with three cells in each cell there are two seed eggs but as a rule only one egg in two of the cells develops into a nut the ovary develops into a large fleshy burr with short stout spines which splits into three valves when the dark red glossy seeds are ripe in the sweet chestnut the brown skin of the nut is the ovary which had been overgrown by the prickly involucre here the spiny green shell is the ovary and the nut a seed though horses will not eat this bitter fruit cattle deer and sheep are fond of it pounded in water it becomes one of the numerous vegetable substitutes for soap under the name of conquer or conqueror it affords a seasonal joy to the average boy who first bombards the tree with sticks and stones to dislodge the fruit and then threads the ruddy conkers on string and does battle with a chum similarly equipped the one whose string is broken or pulled from his hand by the conflict of weapons being the vanquished in some parts the game is led off by the recitation of the rhyme oblianker my first conquer the growth of the tree is very rapid and consequently the timber is soft and of no value where durability is required 
still its even grain and susceptibility to a high polish make it useful for indoor wood such as cabinet making and flooring it is also used for making charcoal for the gunpowder mills although salvatore rosa and other landscape painters have made such good use of the sweet chestnut pictorially they have utterly neglected the horse chestnut and hamerton hints that the cause of this neglect is the artist's inability to represent its large flowers and leaves by the landscape painter's ordinary method of laying on masses of color this requires drawing the tree begins to produce fruit about its twentieth year and continues to do so nearly every year its age is estimated at about two hundred years the bark at first smooth breaks into irregular scales and in old trees a twist may be developed as illustrated by our photo of the bowl the generic name esculus from latin esca food has no real connection with the tree the ancients having given it to some species of oak with edible acorns vide pline but by some unknown means it has become transferred to a tree whose fruit is far too bitter to be eaten by man the red-flowered horse chestnut esculus carnea is a smaller and less vigorous tree its origin is unknown but it is believed to be a garden hybrid that made its appearance about 1820 End of section 8.